Welcome to Inside Independent Publishing with IBPA. I'm your host, Christopher Locke. I'm also the IBPA Director of Membership and Member Services. Okay, so social media can be an excellent tool for publishers to build brand awareness and garner exposure for your books, but it's also complicated to properly navigate. One advantageous social media tactic is to hire an influencer, but how do you go about hiring the right one for your books? What types of campaigns work the best? What are some of the challenges to hiring an influencer and how then do you overcome those challenges? Well, CEO and founder of Branch and Bramble, Emily Lyman, is here on the podcast to share her expertise in all things related to social media influencers. Hello, Emily. How are you? Hi, Christopher. I'm lovely. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, well, so I met you at the Firebrand conference last November, and you gave a really excellent presentation. And the whole time I was like, this is something publishers should know more about. And I was like, you should be on the podcast. And then five months later, look that quick. Here we we are. Yeah. All right. So uh, the thing I wanted to start with is, um, you know, social media, as I said, it's it can be really great to get the word out about your books, but it can be really frustrating because these platforms continue to change the algorithms. Uh, It's tough to get your books in front of them, the readers that you want. So I just want to kind of start broad with what you think are the best social media platforms to get the word out to readers about books. Yeah. So, okay. When we, we talk to partners, clients, publishers, et cetera, this is actually a very question that comes up really often. And what we found is there's, there's a large contingency of readers on every major social media platform, right? I mean, in terms of size, you're looking at no less than 100 million US users on every single major platform. So you can find your audience of readers. What we like to really focus on is you want to determine the platform based on two factors, your genre and title, right? The title, the subject, etc. But also the type of content that you can create around that book, the type of content you feel comfortable sharing and utilizing those two elements to inform where you market. I would, however, be remiss if I didn't mention that Instagram and TikTok specifically have more what we like to call organized reader segments. So book talk, um, et cetera, right? They're more known for not only their influencer programs as a whole, but also for marketing books. But if you have, say, a political title, Twitter is going to be more where you want to look. Um, so it, it really does depend on on your campaign and what your your goals are. Right. And so I imagine when people work with you, that's probably the first thing that you figure out is you're like, okay, your book's a fiction book about monkeys. And this is the Instagram loves monkey books. So it's yeah. like, right. So, um, okay. So that's okay. So, uh, I want, I mean, there's a lot to talk there. Maybe we can get back there, but, um, I do want to get into that concept of the influencers. So mm-hmm. I, the first thing I want to see is, can you just like, what, what is a quote unquote influencer? Cause we hear that term all the time and we like, you know, it's like super cool people that like, you know, post photos of themselves looking hot at the beach or whatever. But in terms of like, publishers and what they could use them for, what, what would be an influencer? In the marketing sense, right, an influencer really, it's that individual who has the ability to entice an audience of consumers to take action around a brand, right? So whether that's buying a book, following a brand on social, etc. Um, it's 
an in person who influences, but they influence in a way that is going to drive the brand's goals forward. And then, so publishers could technically set up their own Instagram page uh, or an author can and probably should, but why would somebody want to go with a influencer rather than the, like the author just posting about their books on their own? I love that you asked this question because I have a lot of thoughts around it as an agency, my team, we've really delved into this question and, and I'm going to start with data one, because I love data, but numbers don't lie. So 62% of social media users trust influencers more than brands, right? And because at the end of the day, yeah, a brand could have a super cool page, you could really resonate it, but everybody knows that it, the end goal of the brand is to sell you something. Mm. Um, and one of the main reasons that people follow and engage with influencers is because they are looking for a sense of belonging and community. And one of the ways that that sense of belonging manifests is by purchasing the same things that the influencer has or is talking about, like a book or a brand of mascara, etc. Right. So the follower can have the same experience as the influencer. Um, and just to throw in a couple more data points, because we get asked this question a lot. And I, I want to stress that there's there is real value to influencer marketing. 50% of millennials trust product recommendations from influencers and 33% of Gen Zers have bought a product from an influencer's recommendation within the past three months. So that's fairly significant, at least in my opinion. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting about that? So I, maybe I'm cynical in general it, and I will say <laughs> I'm cynical in general. So <laughs> like for me, the idea of someone like, Hey, look at this awesome shirt I have, or look at this water bottle in my head. I'm thinking, well, they're clearly trying to sell me that product. Even if I like that person, I'm not ever confused that they are, uh, somebody has paid them to sell this product. So I guess I'm, why is, I mean, this may be like going too deep, but like, why do people go, okay, but I trust that person, not the author who wrote the book, but this person who's being paid by the author to tell me to get the book. Um, it just, I don't know. It seems odd to me, but maybe they, cause they, I'll let you answer. I have, I guess I have my own thoughts about you. I think it depends on the influencer and influencers who, and, and we, I'm sure can go into how brands that influencers, how they're going to pick them for their campaign. But ultimately an influencer who has an engaged following, whose followers trust them, does so because they are very purposeful about the content that they create and cultivate, and they're very honest about their opinions. So you'll look at influencers and you'll see there are some that are just a shill, right? They're All of their social media posts are branded, sponsored posts. That's all they're pushing. Whereas if you get influencers who really care about their audience because there's this give and take, right? Influencers know that their audience means something and they come to them for something and they trust and respect that relationship. Mm. They're only going to give their truthful opinions and in, and their followers will start to, to believe that and understand that and come to expect that. We have actually worked with influencers on book campaigns who have read a book and not liked it. <laughs> and they were honest about mm. their opinion. And they used it as a conversation starter. And that influencer was actually the highest um, performing influencer of the campaign to actually drive book downloads. 
That's so interesting because if someone reads my book and they're like, I like it, I'm like, you're fired. I'm not working with you. But so it's still it's still work. That's really interesting that uh, you that they that the author and the publisher still went with that person. Um, ah, interesting. And because because the well, one, the contract was already in place, right? It's not like you can sign a contract to be like, oh, you don't like the book. You can't. Sorry, we're going to cut this contract. But also the influencer was very honest and said, hey, these are kind of the things that I called up into question for me for this book. And so she didn't. And, and influencers are savvy, right? They're content creators by li- through their living. Mm. So they'll come and they'll say, this is how I want to phrase this. This is how I want to approach it. And she said, I want to approach this as a conversation of this is what this brought up for me. What did it bring up for you to her followers? And her followers were like, oh, I read that. And I thought the same thing. Or I read it and no, I didn't think the same thing. Mm. Or I'm going to go read it now. Mm. And so it, it, brought all of this conversation to, to pull it to surface. Uh, okay. So th- that kind of brings me to that concept of how you pick influencers. I mean, there's no way that you can just know all the influencers for all the genres. So like you get a book, how do you then scour the internet and go, this is the right influencer for this particular genre or whatever. There's a lot of tools out there to help. Right. So a lot of when our clients come to us, our partners come to us, that's where we'll start. We have agency tools that allow us to kind of look at the landscape of of influencers based on uh, keyword, based on demographic, based on location, based on price, etc. Um, in addition, all of our, our influencer teams are very already savvy, right? They're on book talk as in general, naturally. So they have a good sense of what's going on in the zeitgeist. And then they look at three things. So vetting influencers is one of the most important elements of a campaign. And I cannot stress this enough because through the vetting process, you can head off a lot of potential problems or a lot of potential um, you know, conflicts that might arise, barring the fact that you can't know if someone's going to like a book or not but the metrics right so the hard numbers does the influencer actually have an engaged following you don't want someone with 360,000 followers and no likes or even if they have a thousand likes on a post that's still not enough for a following of 360,000 right so there's kind of these metrics that they should be looking at um the the niche the focus their value of that influencer. So we recommend targeting influencers that closely align with the industry, with the genre. Check out their post history. And this is where you kind of have to do a lot of a little bit of manual checking. What have they posted about? What are their comments like? You really want to have a good sense of how they respond to negative comments, how they engage with their followers. If they flipped up and there was a place where they needed to apologize, how did they apologize? Was it sincere? Was it just kind of placating? How did their audience respond to that apology? Um, and then all influencer programs should include that diverse representation, including but not limited to gender identity, sexual orientation, ethnicity, age, religion, body type. Those are the three buckets that you want to build your campaign around when you're vetting influencers. Now, if every time people comment on my page that I don't like and I say, you're dumb, my opinions are always right, 
am I a good influencer? Is that? <laughs> I would say no. <laughs> oh, um, all right, fine. You don't have to hire me. All right. Sorry. <laughs> I pitch myself here. Um, okay. So you mentioned it was interesting about how many influencers you should have for any particular campaign. So I just wanted you to, to go into to that concept too. Like one, three, like how many is good? We have a lot. Um, at the beginning, we have a lot of partners who come to us and say, okay, I want to work with one influencer for this campaign. And that is, we strongly recommend against that. Uh, the point of influencers is to be able to scale your word of mouth. And in order to do that, even if you only have one influencer with a million followers, that's not enough. The idea is you want someone to open their social media at any at one point in the campaign and see this title everywhere. Like, whoa, I follow book talkers and four out of the 10 people I follow are recommending this title. Mm. I have to get on this title. Mm. Right. Um, and so no less than five influencers, I would say with a combined and kind of scale the audience numbers, depending on the number of influencers you have, right? Maybe you have 10 influencers who have 50,000 followers each, or maybe you have um, 20 influencers, and but they have a combined total of a million followers. You kind of want to play with those numbers, but you want to make sure that your, your target demographic of the audiences of each influencer are who you're looking to, to target ideally and find. But that there's that um, quantity there mm. where someone could open it up and see, oh, yeah, this is a good chunk of, of people that are saying this and seeing this. And uh, you cut out for two seconds when you said the combined amount of influencers, uh, uh, sorry, of uh, followers. Uh, what, what's that number? Oh, apologies. Um, at least 500,000. 500,000. Okay, cool. Uh, okay, so then you also mentioned in your presentation about uh, celebrity influencers versus micro influencers. And I thought that was an interesting distinction. So I wanted to ask you about that as well. We love, love, love micro influencers and a micro influencer has between 10,000 and 50,000 followers. So their content typically revolves around a very specific like topic, passion, uh, expertise. So this makes them really respected um, with, with their audiences because they're really highly focused. So their audience is like, yep, I know exactly what they're talking about because they talk about this all the time. I have my trust in them, which means they have some of the highest audience engagement of all the types of influencers. A celebrity will have 4 million plus followers, but those followers don't actually take action a lot of the time or not as many of them will take action. So you get a higher engaged audience that's more likely to listen to a call to action, but you also get influencers who are more budget friendly, which tends to be very important, especially within the publisher industry. Okay. Um, and uh, I wanted to then figure out, uh, you, we were talking about promotions and campaigns and all mm -hmm. that. So I just mm -hmm. wanted to figure out like, what are the different types of campaigns slash promotions? I, you, well, I don't know which word to use. You're, you're the expert. So, um, but w what are people like when someone hires an influencer, like what are they, like how long are they hiring them and all that? Yeah. So we like to bucket these into three types. So we have a one-off promotion that's usually 
less than a month long, the influencers that you're working with only post once during that time frame. And these tend to revolve around a single title or a marketing initiative. Think June is audiobooks month. And then we have a long-term campaign anywhere between three to eight months. And then an influencer will post several times, maybe one to two times per month within this whole time frame. So um, we those don't tend to be as prevalent in, in publishing, but when they do happen, they might revolve around an entire genre, format, or vertical. And then we have the last bucket, which we like to have called the brand ambassador program. These are the best for scaling influencer programs because this is where you get the most bang for your buck. They're usually year-long contracts. You can negotiate a good rate with the influencers because they know, hey, I'm going to be working with this brand for a year. That's that's great for me, um, brand and influencer alike. And that is where you can say, hey, maybe this influencer is really into romance. So they're going to get five romance titles from the brand a month. And they're going to promote the ones that they like the best, their favorites, or they'll promote all five. And that's going to keep going for the full year. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, that whole concept, because, uh, you know, we were talking about, you know, vetting people and all that. And in my head, I'm thinking, gosh, the longer someone's doing something, the more chance you have of them, whatever, getting in trouble during that time because they say something stupid or offensive. So, I mean, how do you do you have some clause in your contract that's like, hey, if you say something stupid and people hate you, we're, we're done. Like, how does how does that whole process work? You are cynical. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just, look, hey, we know that we know we've seen things blow up. Right. And you're like brand is connected now to this person. I'm just, I'm just trying to protect publishers, uh, but maybe I'm just a good person. <laughs> I, I appreciate the spin. Christopher. Yeah. <laughs> All brands that work with influencers should have this scenario as part of their crisis comms. As much as we want to protect the brand, at the end of the day, influencers are human beings. And you're right, they are unpredictable. <laughs> um, but this is also where the vetting any possible past behaviors that could lead to problems. And then the action that you take is really dependent on what kind of issue crisis arises. For example, if someone said something offensive, right, and then within 24 hours, they make a good apology that's accepted, um, there's no need to do anything, right? They did their mea culpa. They're like, okay, I'm sorry. You're right. I was wrong. If they're coming out as a, a Nazi, then distancing your, I mean, influencers are doing that these days. <laughs> right. You're like, oh, whoops. Uh, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. I connected you to my brand. Right. Sure. Right. Yeah. Then you distance yourself. You mention that you do not support these beliefs. You do not condone these actions. And you ask the influencer to remove any branded posts that you have worked with them on in the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, do you get like your money back or something? Like what's that, what's the clause or no, up until that you've paid them. And then now, now they just don't do any more of the work. Yeah. If they've already done the work and you've already gotten the hits and for the campaigns, right. It really depends on where this falls within the campaign. So if it's after a campaign has happened, then the money has been spent. 
if it's during the campaign, what the clause, the contract has is definitely the contract can be terminated immediately. If no money has paid out, then, you know, sometimes there's a, what we call a waterfall or a tier in terms of, Hey, I'm going to pay you percentages for the work completed. Or if we have to terminate, then it's terminated and no fees are, are paid out. It really depends on the contract and influencer contracts often are negotiated with uh, an influencer's manager. So this is where you also want your legal team in place. Don't try to DIY contractor or influencer contracts. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll go back to being less cynical and assuming everything's going great. <laughs> um, so I want to see like, how much does the publisher work with the influencer on the campaign in terms of like, like who's coming up with the post? Is it always the influencer? Is it a team effort? Like uh, how much do they work together? Yeah, it's um, very dependent upon the influencer and the publisher. So the, some influencers, right? They're, they're creators by nature, by living, and they are, they don't need a lot of handholding. They're very savvy Maybe some, even for the one-off promotions, can happen all over email. And we've done that before and had great success. If you're doing a longer-term campaign or a branded brand ambassador program, you definitely want to meet (laughs) an influencer over a Zoom, over a kickoff call before you sign the contract, make sure that everything, you know, you get along, etc. And then depending on the campaign, you can have as many touch points as you need as a publisher. Maybe you're like, I want to meet with you every month. Or... The campaign is ramping up. I want to meet with you every week just to make sure everything is okay. Or some influencers actually need a lot of handholding. So they'll come to you and say, can we jump on a call? I just want to run this by you. Or here's my content that I created. Can you approve it um, before I even start? It's just the idea before I start to put it in place. So it's very much dependent on the influencer and the publisher and what they feel comfortable with. And is that like, you know how, because you want to be respectful of people's time. So in the contract, is it like, we're going to meet eight times and then like, or people a little more, there's a little more leeway there. And you're like, okay, we'll meet every now and then if things come up or something. We do it with a little bit more leeway. Um, So we get a sense of our influencers. We have, we work with um, influencers many times over for different partners, for different clients, depending on, right? So we have our own relationships. And the more we get to know them, the more that cadence changes. So I would also say that would be the same with publishers where they might be feeling if it's a first time relationship with an influencer, they're like, I want I want to meet more often. You can absolutely put a schedule in your contract. Um, there's nothing to say that you can't. We just like to, instead of putting more meetings, we like to put approval processes within contracts. So you cannot post anything without the um, publisher's approval. You have to include these tags and hashtags. You have to follow these um, FEC guidelines. Those types of things are what we put in. And then the meetings and touch points kind of fall around those as needed. Uh, okay, so then... The campaign's happening. Um, the posts are going up. Like, is the publisher or author commenting on those posts, or should they like kind of be like silent and not be part of the process? Or how does all that work? No, yeah, absolutely engaged. The influencer wants the engagement. 
but also it's a really, really easy secondary touch point for the author and the publisher to get in front of the influencers audiences. Mm. Okay. So that's, that's yeah. part of it. I wasn't sure if the concept of like, uh, cause sometimes I feel like I'll have people posting like something about my book. Like I love this book. And then I'll come and be like, thank you so much for reading. And before I posted, I'll see a lot of comments. But then after I post, I stop seeing comments because people are like, Oh, the authors, he's, he's watching what we're saying. Um, so that is just from personal experience that I was, wasn't sure if people want to feel like they're having this conversation separately from the people involved. So they, I don't know, don't hurt their feelings or even if it's positive there, I don't know, maybe they get self-conscious or something. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. We, we have not run into any of that with our campaign. So generally, and we generally talk to the influencer beforehand too. So we'll say like the publisher, the author is going to comment. 10 times out of 10 when we have had them, they're like, yes, please comment. Um, the other thing too is with um, commenting as an author, it what we have found great success in is not just commenting on the um, creator's post, but the commenter's comments as well, even if they're negative, right? And, and we not don't comment on like the, I hated this book, right? I hope God, I hope no one says that, but obviously there are trolls on the internet. Back to Wait, being what? cynical. There I know, surprise. The- <laughs> <laughs> um, but if it's like, oh, this book wasn't for me, a lot of when we've seen successes, authors are saying, thank you so much for giving it a shot, for, for giving it a read. I really appreciate the feedback, right? And too and- bad your opinion's wrong, right? <laughs> yeah, don't, don't forget that oh, part. Yeah, yeah, okay, all right. <laughs> Um, yeah, I know. I agree. I actually, uh, we did a, um, a one a episode of the show about trade reviews and all that. And we got into that concept of, uh, not getting into it with people that are giving negative reviews and stuff. Cause it just gets ugly. It gets out of hand. Um, so that's why I was also asking about this because, um, you know, people, they, they want to feel like they can leave honest opinions and all that. So, um, yeah, it's, it's tricky, but I, I, I agree. I hear you on wanting to be part of the conversation though, that that's like an important part of that process. Um, and then are, is the like author and or publisher, are they sharing on their own page, the content that the person has posted, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I would say you can repost, um, reshare, et cetera. Uh, it depends on, I think their publishers have to be just um mindful of how they uh, message the repost right i think um uh, sometimes publishers want to shy away from the fact that it's an influencer campaign that they did and mm. they want to make it seem that it it oh it's organic it just happened mm. right and that's something we recommend against mm-hmm. yeah it, right exactly i think it's better just to be out in the open hey this person was paid for this, but they, these are their real opinions. Um, yeah. Uh, we didn't talk about this earlier, but I was interested in like, do you have any concept of uh, like the genres that tend to do best with influencers or is it just you find the right influencer and really you can sell anything as long as you have the right influencer with it? That, that's a very good question. I would say the second, as long as you have a good influencer who really fits, then it you'll have more success. However, it's easier to find influencers. You have a plethora of influencers in 
certain genres versus others. Um, so young adult or new adult fantasy, contemporary romance, muddy romance, historical fiction, those genres that tend to be very popular on say TikTok or Instagram tend to have more influencers for you to choose from. Did you say muddy romance? Like mud? I said smutty. Smutty. Oh, I was like, what is <laughs> muddy romance? <laughs> okay. Uh, clearly, I don't read romance. But I mean, hey, everybody's got their thing. They like scenes of people in mud. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk about cost. I don't know how much you can, but I'm just wondering in terms of like, you know, how for these different types of campaigns like what are people like looking at like is this like a really costly thing i'm sure obviously the one-off versus the you know brand ambassador but like just what are what's the concept the you know of like how much people are about to you know shell out for an influencer yeah so generally you want to budget about one to four percent of an influencer's following Mm -hmm. um i'm not really good at math so but if it's 10,000 followers, for 1% of that is $100? Hey, I'd have a to writer. have a calculator. So <laughs> we're both, our audience is screwed right now because neither of us is good. I'll just say, yes. Yes, it is. Okay, <laughs> perfect. Um, so 1% to 4%. And then if it's actually a micro-influencer who has a highly engaged following, you're looking closer to the 4% range. Now, that is, tends to be for influencers that you go to that you approach that you say hey can you give me a rate sheet etc cetera, etc cetera. there are a lot of influencer um programs and tools where you can i don't remember if anyone remembers like cameo where you can just hop on pay a hundred dollars and have like an actor send you like a little happy birthday message so think of that for influencers where you go onto these tools and you say, I want to pay a hundred dollars just for that influencer to post one post, or I want to pay, et cetera. So you can also do it that way. Those, however, tend to be harder to vet. They tend to be more influencers that tend to have more branded posts filling out their feed and you're not going to get a long-term relationship with them. So you can't come back to them and say, Hey, remember that great campaign we worked with? together on six months ago let's do it again and can you can we negotiate your rate now because this is a different budget but we really liked you you did good work hopefully you liked us etc and it's generally uh in advance so what i mean is it's not based on then like how many like likes something got or whatever like the outcome it's all like what possibly could happen like you know how many times they post because you know, I suppose an influencer could be like, hey, you just, you know, got like 700,000 likes on this post, like, that's higher than I thought. And maybe our rate should go up or like, I guess it's all set in advance. There's nothing based on the results of the campaign, I guess, right? Nothing is based on the results of the campaign. It's all based on their rate sheets that are usually current to their current following, right? So if that $10,000 or 10,000 follower person comes to me, and she'll say, oh, I'm charging $1,000 for an in-feed post and $500 for an Instagram story. Those are my current rates. That's what you have to work with. And then you could say, oh, actually, our budget is XYZ. And can you work with us, et cetera, et cetera. I see. Uh, so that brings me to then the success of a campaign. 
how does that get gauged? Is it how many likes things got, how many shares, how many comments? How do you, at the end, as a publisher go, I mean, I suppose you could say, well, I sold a certain amount of books, but even then we all know like with publicity that selling books isn't, it's sometimes it's just unquantifiable. But anyway, what, what's, what's your idea of a successful campaign? So we recommend setting a goal at the beginning of the campaign to determine what you want to tag your success to, right? So engagements, downloads, books sold, agreed, books sold is the hardest thing to kind of put a goal against a campaign, especially just with EOS and systems and, and whatnot and how that flows through and books are sold. But then the campaign is built around that goal. So for example, books sold is going to be even more difficult to measure if you're doing a campaign on Instagram because of the way links and click-throughs work on the platform. So whatever the goal, build the campaign around it and then source your influencers according to that goal. So say a, a client comes to us and says, I really want an Instagram-only campaign, but the goal has to be downloads. I'm going to look for influencers over 10,000 followers who have really good engagement on their stories because they can add a click through to their stories once they're at that level of followers. And so I know that that's going to be more successful for my goals for that campaign if we had to do it that way, right? However, whatever the goal is, once you build your campaign, source your influencers around that, you still always want to track engagements because this is going to help you set your benchmarks. There are platform benchmarks that you're going to want to compare your campaign against. So for example, TikTok's benchmark engagement is 8%. Instagram's benchmark engagement is 1% for influencer campaigns, right? That's a very big difference. So if you are like, oh, we did this Instagram campaign and we only got 2% engagement, it should be 8 You're like, no, 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 no. That's actually above average. Consider that a success. And then you're also going to still compare it to the previous campaigns that you run. So, hey, maybe it's a 2% engagement. That's great by industry standards. But the last three Instagram campaigns you ran had a 5% engagement with different influencers. So that's going to really vary on, on how you judge whether a campaign did well or not. Mm. So it sounds like it's like a conversation that the publisher has with you, like, beforehand it's it's all kind of set up in advance um yeah well it's interesting because you mentioned about someone coming to you and saying hey i want to do a campaign on uh like instagram so i'm just wondering like does that happen often where like the publisher has in their head this is the social media platform i want to do it on um or do you uh, you know go well i actually think this would do better on tiktok like how does that conversation work it happens both ways. So very often we'll have publishers come to us and say, hey, I want to do an XYZ campaign on this one platform. And we'll talk it through. You know, maybe that's exactly the right thing. Or they're like, nope, this is exactly what we want to do. You need to build it to this way, to this platform. And we do that. Otherwise, we'll say, can we campaign brainstorm? Can we, where's the wiggle room here? Where's the flexibility? Because we think if you source influencers for these three platforms, that's going to give you a better result and you have the budget for it, or maybe you don't have the budget for it. I think the biggest challenge that we find is when um, publishers might come to us and say, as I mentioned before, like we only want to work with one influencer. 
And that is something we want to really discourage against, again, just because of scale. Uh, and to answer your question, uh, for me personally, I do not have the budget for it. So I'll, <laughs> I'll be doing one. Uh, but other people have more money. Um, okay. Right, I, well, <laughs> sorry, on. I was just going to say that I would rather you put that budget to paid ads, oh. right? Social media promotion, boosted posts. That's going to give you more bang for your buck than just a one influencer. Yeah. Well, now I owe you money for your uh, suggestion. Darn it. <laughs> I, I knew that was going to happen. Um, I tricked you. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to ask uh, one of the last things. Um, in terms of these posts, in your presentation, you mentioned you can use these posts beyond that social media campaign. So I just wanted to like, what are ways that people, like once these posts are up, that then publishers can like, wh where else can they use them? Yeah. So in addition to, now this is still on social media, but I'm, I'm I'm getting to your question, I promise. Um, we like to whitelist influencers so that publishers can put social media ad spend behind the publishers or the influencers posts. And this is going to just increase the return of the influencer campaign. You're going to get it out there. It's going to be budget friendly and you're already re you're going to reach new audiences that are targeted from the influencer. So it, it aligns very well. And influencers love it because they don't have to pay to get their content and their name out there. Um, however, what we also find is influencers tend to take beautiful photos, right? Especially of books. And so you can use, if in the contract you state that you want access, you want rights to the photos, to the content that they create, you can then use these in graphics, you can use them in print ads, you can use them in digital ads, and you it helps you feed that content beast. We're always looking for graphics, we're always looking for non stock photography um, for our products, etc. So you can use it that way as well. Yeah, so I it sounds like it's important, though, for publishers in advance to have that in the contract. So there's no question where the, the influencers like, hey, that was my content, what are you doing? This is on some big ad campaign now. So you just work all that out in advance. Exactly. Your contract should have exclusivity clauses. What does that look like? Rights clauses, um, posting, time fees, etc. You're going to want to include all of that in your contract and really think about not only what do you want this campaign to look like, but what assets, how the life of this campaign is going to live on, what you need access to, etc. I would include that if I need to borrow their car, I can do that at any time too. So <laughs> I'm just trying to get whatever I can. Um, I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, okay. Tell us about Branch and Bramble. You all do uh, amazing uh, work. So I just want the audience to know how they can connect with you. And, and uh, the, I know that this is part of the work you do, but what, what other types of things could they you know work with you all on? So, uh, yeah, we help brands align their marketing with their values, right? So we've worked with many different publishing houses, authors, even book influencers on the other side of things to bring their stories to life with their strategic marketing um, program. So we're always looking for these connections to be made for lifelong audiences, which is exactly what authors want, right? You don't want just a one, yes, okay, you want a book sold, <laughs> but you want to build up a readership. And so that is how we work with 
our publishers, our clients, our authors to build that lifelong readership. And it spans their marketing program, whether you need partnership marketing, whether you need help with your own social media, whether you need content creation ideas. Um, we really excel in helping helping build those online presences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, as I said, when I saw your presentation, um, it's always nice when someone is like an expert on a subject because I think this is something that is difficult for publishers. Uh, it can feel overwhelming. Um, so, you know, hiring someone like you, you're like, you know it, they just hire you to be the expert and then they don't have to become mm. the expert. So mm-hmm. um, that's what I like. Um, and you also have on your website a free book influencer marketing guide. Can you tell us where to find that? Yes, it is going to be at www.branchandbramble.com forward slash book hyphen influencers. And so I don't know if there's show notes we can put in there. I guess I could have had it on my little lower third or hold up a sign, but that is a free influencer marketing guide. It's going to give you book talkers and bookstagrammers that we've already vetted, that we've already worked with that we find are just great people and great partners. It's going to give you um, outreach templates to so you know where to get started if you're cold outreach to these influencers. Um, so it's a really, really great resource and I highly recommend it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, we, we'll, put a, we'll put a graphic uh, for you, so don't worry. Uh, um, we, yeah, you don't have to create little signs that you hold up. Uh, we're, we're a little more high tech than that on the podcast. Um, well, look, this was very helpful, a lot of great information. Um, again, it was a subject that it's not just social media. It was a very specific thing about social media I thought would be very helpful to the publishers and the author publishers who listen. So thank you. I really appreciate it. Um, and, uh, um, you know, uh, I want to then switch to IBPA. So, um, if people can learn more, if they want to learn more about becoming a member of IBPA, visit ibpa-online.org. And then also this podcast, the new episodes uh, come uh, every last Thursday of every month. And it's on YouTube where you might be watching this or anywhere where you normally download um, your podcast. Uh, Emily, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And uh, I know you had a, a bit of a storm in your area. So good luck getting through the storm. Um, and uh, uh, thank you everyone for listening. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Christopher.